There is a word from the Lord. There is a word from the Lord today. Um, word from the Lord coming from Mark chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse number one. Mark chapter 11. It should be showing up uh, on the screens right here. We're going to get this screen fixed in a little bit, y'all. Just, it's, it's coming. <laughs> We're on the screens that are here. If not, you can pull it up in your Bible. We'll invite you to stay in to honor the reading of God's word today um, as we share together. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 is where we will read today from the English Standard Version. Uh, the Word of God reads as follows. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, enter it, you will find a colt tied uh, on which no one has ever sat untie it and bring it if anyone says to you why are you doing this say the lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately and they went away found a colt tied at the door outside the street outside in the street rather and they untied it and some of those who were those standing there said to them what are you doing untying the colt and they told him what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the cult to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before uh, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Amen. This is the word of God. Thanks be unto God for God's words. You may be seated in the presence of God. For the moments that we have together uh, today, I want to tag this text with the topic, Great Expectations. Great Expectations. Somebody type that in the comment comments on Facebook today, Great Expectations. Uh, I believe that we need to be honest about the expectations that we hold in our lives. For every role, for every season, for every responsibility, for every situation, we bring some level of expectation to it. We bring some notion or some idea of what we think it will be without actually having experienced it. In fact, I would dare suggest that each of us, as we approach this moment of worship, we approach this moment of worship today with certain expectations about what we would experience. After two years of solely virtual worship, many of us have arrived to a hybrid experience with certain expectations for what will be. We had expectations about what it would look like to be back in the sanctuary. Had expectations about the processes and the protocols. Had expectations about the building and its condition. Had expectations about the music, about the prayer, 
about the preaching. If nothing else, we should have come at least with an expectation that if we could just get to worship today, that we would feel better, that we would be stronger, we would find ourselves closer to God. We all have expectations. Expectations are a product of either information or imagination. Information, um, expectations based on information comes from what we have been told from other folks. Y'all know how we do. Y'all know, y'all know how we do. We, we get a recommendation for a restaurant and we have certain level of expectation for what we will experience when we go there. And if it meets our expectation, we're going to share that with somebody. And if it, meet, if it doesn't meet our expectation, you best believe it's going to be a Facebook status or Instagram post or a telephone call saying, girl, don't go there. Don't, don't eat that food there. We, we have expectations based on information. I'm sure that some of y'all had conversations about what to expect when you came here today. Have expectations about inf- that come from information based on what we have been told, but there's also expectation based on imagination, which is what we have told ourselves. We have an idea of what we think something should be. We have an idea of what we think our relationship should look like, what we think our family should look like, what we think our church and our community should look like. These are expectations of imagination. But the one thing about expectations that I've discovered is that often expectations can be a detriment to seeing what is already a reality. I'll say that one more time. Expectations can be a detriment to seeing what already exists. That we can, uh, because of our expectations, project it on a situation, project it on a person, project it, yes, even on ourselves. We can be blinded from what the reality of the situation is. And this, in fact, is the issue. That's happening in our text today. This narrative of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is one of the few scenes that can be found in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all testify to Jesus entering into the city, going uh, to the temple on what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. Scholars suggest that it's Mark's account that was recorded first, which uh, points to the straightforward way that the author tells the story. If you read the other Gospels, it's a little more elaborate. They talk about the palms waving and the reaction of the people in the crowd, yes, but also the reactions uh, of the religious leaders. But Mark wastes little time getting to the point and even leaves us with an anticlimactic point of Jesus leaving the city in verse 11. Yet there is important and impactful information that's included in this account that will help us today. Perhaps the most noted part of this, uh, this account of, of, of Jesus' entry into the city is the raised voices of the crowd that surrounded Jesus entering the city shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Hosanna in the highest heaven. These shouts of praise are based on Psalm 118, which is a part of the Hallel Psalms, which celebrate um, the God's deliverance uh, from Egyptian oppression as the people of Israel entered into Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Y'all, that's what was going on when Jesus was headed into the city. He, he was headed, as a good Jew was, to Passover in Jerusalem. And as the crowd shout this excerpt from the psalm, Jesus, as he enters the city, we should know that the people were shouting this psalm with particular expectations in mind about who Jesus was. The people expected Jesus to be a king on earth over the nation Israel. 
like his forefather David, y'all. That's why he shouted, blessed. That's why they shouted, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. God had promised David that a member of his family would always be on the throne, and they saw that in Jesus. They wanted to return to the height in the heyday of Israel's power. They were looking backwards in hopes of returning to power in promises. But this is a misunderstanding of Jesus's mission. They expected the coming kingdom to be one of military might and strength. But y'all, that's not what Jesus was all about. People wanted Jesus to be a king that would save them from their current oppression that they experienced at the hand of the Roman Empire. They were looking for immediate relief from their current circumstances. They had seen and heard about Jesus healing and delivering people through his ministry and were um, live with excitement about how Jesus would move on a greater scale to save them from oppression and occupation. They expected Jesus' presence to overcome and overthrow the reigning power, but Jesus was after something greater i believe if we could put a pin in it right there for many of us this is the challenge in our relationship with jesus we find ourselves with improper expectations about what is supposed to happen because jesus has shown up in our lives in this culture y'all that celebrates prosperity gospel name it and claim it theology all of these crazy belief systems that don't correlate to scripture and con, uh, conjoined with our culture of instant gratification we have a real challenge on our hands if we believe that jesus showed up just to bless us and give us big cars and houses we pray and we expect for god to work everything out according to our plan because of these theologies we pray and we expect God to do things the way we want them to be done. But we should, when we pray, we should expect that God would answer our prayers. But we should also recognize that when we can't control, that we can't control when God moves and how God moves. Because God moves by our faith, by on God's time and in God's way. And this could be the very thing that was unclear to the people in the text. As they gathered around Jesus with cloaks and palms, waving and celebrating his arrival into the city, Jesus' arrival was a God move that was bigger than this moment in time and this moment in history. Jesus wasn't the king that the people desired or expected. Jesus was the king that they needed. Jesus didn't come to reign in the ways of an earthly king as the people uh, as the people expected. He came as one to establish a new covenant and a new kingdom for all the earth. Jesus's kingdom would be one who through whose throne would not be in the seat of Jerusalem, but in the seat of the hearts and the souls of humanity. This is not the king, y'all, that the people were expecting. And perhaps it was this confusion and misunderstanding that made it so easy for the religious leaders to spread fake news among the people about Jesus that would cause them to go from celebrating him as Messiah to calling crucify him on Calvary on that Friday. And we have to be careful, y'all, to recognize the same tendency exists in us. That as soon as things don't work out the way we want, as soon as things don't go the way that we prayed and planned for, as soon as things don't fall in our favor, we can be quick to allow our praises to turn into complaints and our prayers to fall silent before God. 
In fact, the enemy will use our misunderstood expectations to drive a wedge in our relationship with God. But y'all, we got to remember the problem isn't with God. The problem is with us. We got to recognize and adjust our expectations. We, uh, the crowds that gathered on that Palm Sunday would learn this as the weeks, months, and years that followed would unfold. But we have the benefit, y'all, of reading the text today and making an immediate adjustment based on what we learn. So we celebrate Jesus today as the triumphant king. Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. But what should we expect from King Jesus? Well, the first thing the text teaches us today is that we should expect that Jesus commands but does not consume. Let me say that one more time. Jesus commands but does not consume. Jesus commands but does not consume. Verses 2 and 3 of the text tell us, uh, that Jesus, tell us that Jesus tells two of the disciples, go ahead, untie the coat which you will find in front of a house. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, tell them that the Lord has need of it. And that the Lord will send it back shortly. Yeah, Jesus gave them a command that set them up for what they would encounter. Jesus gave a specific instruction about what to expect. They knew that what they, how they should respond when somebody questioned them about untying this coat that didn't necessarily belong to them. But he, he told them exactly what to say. But even more than that, Jesus' intent was not to take the coat as his own, but to use it in service of his mission. The coat would be the vessel and the, the sign of the peaceful reign of the Messiah commencing. But it required that the coat be entrusted to his care. Y'all, our expectation of Christ should be to give control of our lives over to him. As the owner gave control over the cult, if we claim Christ is Lord, then we should be willing to give Christ control over our lives and allow him to lead us in a way that he would have us to go. Y'all, here's the reason why. Simply put, because the Lord has a need of our lives. We, we weren't saved. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We weren't saved just to come and sit in the pew. Y'all, the Lord has need of our lives. We weren't saved just so that we can go to heaven one day in the great by and by. The Lord has a need of our lives right now because the way that the message gets out, the way that the gospel gets out, the way that the kingdom is expanded is by our lives before men. I know. I know you think you might not be good enough, that you got too many issues, that you're facing many insecurities about your abilities, but I came to tell you today that the Lord has a need of your life. If you want Facebook or YouTube, you should type it in the comments right now. The Lord has a need of my life. This is why you can't be a true disciple of Christ and not at some point in time submit yourself to the command of the Lord. That was real quiet. No amens right there. Yeah, I said a disciple of Christ, not a disciple of Mount Carmel. Disciple of Christ means that you got to submit yourself to the Lord. The Lord has a need of your life. He is ready to untie you from your preconceived expectations and to use your life as a vehicle to usher in the new thing that God is doing in this world for God's glory. 
The text is interesting because you ought to notice how he instructs them to tell the owner that the Lord needs the coat and will bring it back shortly. Uh, that might not be a big deal to you, but let me help you a little bit with it. It was tradition in this culture for kings to commandeer animals and people into their service as they had need. And once you belong to the king, you belong to the king. There, there, there was no giving it back. The, the, the king was going to use you up. The king was going to use that person in their army until that person was no longer existing. Person, the king was going to use that animal in his service until that animal no longer existed. The kings of the earthly kings of that day and even of our day come to consume what they have need of. In fact, the, the people of Israel were warned about this. Would they ask God to give them a king like the other nations in verse Samuel chapter 8? God told them, listen, if you're going to get a king, that's fine. But here's what the king is going to do. The king is going to consume your stuff, your fields, your houses, your children, your animals. The king is going to consume it. But y'all, that's, that, that, that's what's unusual about Jesus promising to return the coat when he was done. Because Jesus' goal was not to use the cult up, but to include this unassuming, unaware cult to fulfill the greater plan of what God was doing. Then if Jesus wanted to include the cult in his plan in that moment, what might the Lord want to do with you in and through your life? Like the cult, the Lord has need of our lives. He needs it, but he won't abuse us or consume us. The Lord needs our lives. In fact, the truth is that our lives will be better once we give it over to the Lord. In fact, Mark teaches us in chapter 8 that whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for the sake of the gospel will save it. That we find life by giving up our life. Because here's what Jesus promised, that he came not to kill, steal, or destroy, but that he came that we might have a life and have it more abundantly. Y'all, Jesus is the king that commands. The king that commands but doesn't consume. But also, the text helps us because Jesus is a king who expects obedience but does not oppress. Jesus is a king that expects obedience but does not oppress. Check the text. Jesus sends his disciples in verses, uh, to get the coat in verse 2 and 3. And then in verses 4 through 6, they do what he told them to do. I know that's not real deep. It's not, it's, not, it's not real deep. It's not, it's not, it doesn't seem like a whole lot there. It seems simple, but we should recognize that the disciple don't go under the notion of fear of some consequence from Jesus. They are not motivated by fear, but they're motivated based on their relationship with God. The disciples have been with Jesus for three years and seen all the authority that he operates in. They recognize that he is working in divine power, but they are willing to follow Christ based on their relationship with him. They're willing to do what he says do because this is Jesus, our rabbi, Jesus, our master, Jesus, the one that healed my mother-in-law, Jesus, the one who made, uh, who turned fish, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish into a meal for the masses. This is Jesus, and so I trust him to do what he's asking me to do. And a good question for us is how much do we really trust the Lord? There's a difference between obedience by choice and obedience by force. I know that because uh, just, just yesterday, uh, just yesterday, my kids proved this to me. 
I said, Marvin Jameson, here are your clothes. I've washed them. I've dried them. They're in your basket. Take them and fold them up. And you know what they did? They pulled them out across the media room. <laughs> Yo, y'all think that's funny, huh? <laughs> and they laid there all day. And so when we discovered that this was the case, I said, that's cool. I'm not going to force y'all to do it right now. I'm just going to take your clothes and hide them from you. Oh, and they, and they lost their mind. Where are our clothes? Give us our clothes. You can't take it. I said, they my clothes. We bought them. <laughs> but I had to force them then to get up this morning and say, listen, before you come downstairs, before you put your mouth on an egg or, or drink any juice or water, you need to fold these clothes up and put them away. I had to force them through that lesson. But there's a difference between forcing somebody to do something and then having them do it because they want to do it. When we are forced to obey, we operate in resentment. When we are forced to obey, we operate, uh, we operate with the attitude and we complain the whole time we do what we're being asked to do. But when we operate and obey by choice, we operate from joy. We operate from love. We want to do it because it makes us happy. Because we have a trusting relationship with the one who has given us the command. And all I'm saying today is that we have to understand that Jesus is a king that expects us to be obedient. But he's not going to force us. You can do what you want to do. You're going to have to pay the consequences for whatever it is you do. But you can do what you want to do. But you need to choose to obey God. Not because God is making you. Not because God is forcing you. But because you love God just that much. But because of what? Because when you think about all that the Lord has done for you. When you think about the fact. We just sung the song. Y'all know what Jesus did. Jesus died for us on the cross. But not just that. When you think about the fact that the Lord woke you up this morning. Gave you a reasonable portion of health and strength. Started you on your way, get, let, got, kept you in your right mind, you ought to want to do what the Lord is asking you to do. When we obey by choice, we obey with joy. The disciples went knowing what the result would be because Jesus has already told them what the result would be. Jesus said, you're going to go. This is what's going to happen. And they was like, cool. And Jesus does the same thing for us. All we got to do is read his word. Jesus tells us what's going to happen, and everything was in place for the disciples just as Jesus had told them, and we ought to obey the Lord because we know what the results will be. We know that when we serve in love, that lives can be changed. When we operate in obedience, that God can use us to do amazing and incredible things, to transform our lives, to transform ourselves, to transform our communities. When we give, when we worship, when we lift up his name, Jesus has already told us that he will make sure that he takes care of what we can't do while we do what we can do. And we are and what we can do is be obedient unto the Lord and do what the Lord is asking us and requiring of us to do. Jesus hasn't come that we would be oppressed because he says his yoke is easy and his burden uh, is a light. He wants us to work in joy. He wants us to work with joy. And when we start resenting the work the Lord has called us to do, we have to check who we are doing it for. We ain't doing it for our family. We ain't doing it for our family. We're not doing it for the name on the building. 
We're not doing it for our personal ego. We're working for the Lord. We're working for Jesus. We're being obedient because of Jesus. It don't matter if it's Mount Carmel or 31st Street or 3rd Street, Bethel or 6th Mount Zion. We're working for the Lord. Working for Jesus ought to bring you joy. Because Jesus is a king. Commands but doesn't consume. He's a king. Uh, who expects obedient but obedience but doesn't oppress and finally Jesus is a king who looks for partnership and not popularity verse 11 it's a really interesting way to end this section of scripture Jesus enters into Jerusalem after being hailed by the crowds he enters into Jerusalem enters into the temple courts and upon arriving at the temple courts he looks around at everything, but since it was already late, he left the city and went to Bethany with the 12. It's interesting that the crowds, which were so prominent in verses 8 through 10, seemed to have disappeared as quickly as they showed up. He, as he enters Jerusalem, the crowds are gone, they're leaving, and the temple courts are emptying because of the time of day. But Jesus stands in the temple courts which would be prominent during his last and final weeks and looks around. It seems anticlimactic, especially compared to the accounts of Matthew and Luke and John. But Mark's gospel emphasizes something important. It emphasizes his partnership with the 12. Y'all see what it says in the text. Since it was already late, he left the city and went to Bethany with the 12. He didn't go back to Bethany with the crowds. He went back to Bethany with the 12. He didn't go back with the folks who were hailing him because perhaps because of his divine nature, he understood that many of those who were hailing them would be saying, nail him to a cross a few days later. But he goes back with the 12. The 12 that he had poured into, the 12 that he had invested in, the 12 that he had spent time with, the 12 that he got frustrated with when they weren't getting it, the 12 that he was preparing to hand off his mission to. He went back to Bethany with the 12. And I dare say today that as we look at the text, Jesus' concern wasn't the hype of the moment. Yes, he understood that this had to be done according to scripture, that this had to be fulfilled, that he needed the coat as a sign of peace as he was riding into the city, that the crowds had to hail them, but he wasn't about the hype of the moment because Jesus ain't never about the hype of the moment. Jesus had always has a bigger goal. It's about for, it was about for him the handing off of the mission. And if we read John's gospel, what we discover is that Jesus spent that last week with his disciples between his battles with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, pouring into his disciples, giving them what they needed, praying unto God that they would be able to carry the mantle that he was passing off unto them because they weren't aware of what was about to take place. He tried to tell them, but they weren't ready for what was about to take place. But he knew that once they got their feet under them, that they would need his strength. They would need the strength of the Holy Spirit, that we need the power of God to guide them and to keep them uh, and to hold them as they went forth in establishing uh, this new kingdom uh, here on earth. He was pouring into his partners because he wasn't concerned about the popularity. He was concerned about what it looked like as he was going into the city. He was more concerned with making sure 
that the mission was going to be accomplished. And that ought to be our concern. We ought to be more concerned with the mission of the church being accomplished in the world. Because we serve a king who is about mission and not moments. Don't matter what it looks like. Don't matter if it shows it the way you want it to. It's about the mission getting done. Y'all, Jesus is not looking for us to pull him out at our convenience. Because that's not what partners do. Partners have a role. They have a stake. Jesus has paid his stake. You know what the hymn says. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. Jesus isn't looking for us to pull Jesus out when it's convenient for us, when it looks good. On Sunday, when we tune in online or roll up to the church building. No. Jesus wants us to make him the center. Because Jesus has paid his part of the partnership. Now it's our job to do our part. Because we know what Paul wrote about Jesus. That because he made himself obedient to death on the cross. That now with the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. That Jesus Christ is a Lord to the glory of God, our Father. And so because that's the case, Jesus has already done his part. Now it's time for us to be good partners. And we have to decide today, are we going to be partners? Or are we just showing up because it's popular? Are we partners in the work? Or are we showing up because that's what it looks good to do? Because that's what we've always done. Partnership ain't about habit. It's about commitment to the mission. It's about commitment to the end goal. And we've got to be committed to what the Lord has called us to do. I don't have no real hoop clothes this week. That's it. (laughs) Miss Fred, that's all I got. (laughs) We've got to be partners with Jesus. Because that's what Jesus is looking for. Not popular, not crowd, not fans. Jesus is looking for followers that are willing to follow him wherever he leads us. So I don't know what your great expectations are about the work of ministry, about what the Lord is calling, calling you to do individually, calling us to do as a church, calling you to do at home. But make sure that you align your expectations with what Jesus really is, with who Jesus really is, with what Jesus really requires of us. All right. That's all I got. That's it. Amen. Let's stand. <laughs> Amen. We'll, do the, we'll do the he died, he died, he got up. We'll do that next week. Jesus is looking for partners in the work. Are you a partner in the work? Jesus isn't going to tell you to do something and use you up and abuse you. I know people might abuse you. People might try to consume you and use you up and get all that they can out of you. But that's not the goal of the Lord. And we got to be careful not to equate the Lord with people. 
not to project our issues with people on the Lord. Jesus wants obedience, but he don't want to force you. He don't want to make you do it. He don't want to beg you to do it. And the reality is, he shouldn't have to. <laughs> he shouldn't have to beg you to show up, to serve. He shouldn't have to beg you to give. He shouldn't have to beg you to worship. Some of us have been sick. God has healed our body. Some of us have dealt with immeasurable tragedy. And God has kept us in our right mind. Some of us have been broke. And God has still made ways for us and provided for us. And you think your reasonable service is sitting at home and just showing up for an hour on Sunday. Come on. That's, that's not, no. The Lord has called us to more. The Lord has called us to do more. There's something you can do. There's some way that you can partner with God to serve and move forward the kingdom here in the earth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment in the life of Jesus where we are able to reflect and see as he enters into the city. We're able to see Jesus for who Jesus really is the expectations of who we might have thought Jesus was or who we thought might have thought Jesus required of us that they can all be put to the side because of what we've learned about Jesus from our text today we thank you for sending us a king that commands us but doesn't consume us king that expects our obedience but doesn't oppress us a king who's not worried about popularity but is looking for partners in moving forward the mission so God today we pray that as we consider this word this week as we consider what you said unto us that you would God convict us, empower us, and challenge us to be better. We pray, God, today that somebody who's watching, somebody who's in the room would make a decision for partnership today. That they recognize that, man, Jesus really has taken the heavy weight of this thing off of me. So now I can walk and follow Jesus for the first time, or I can get back on the path with Jesus and follow him again. Or that perhaps I could follow him with the folks at Mount Carmel as they follow Jesus. Whatever the case is, God, we're praying that they would make that decision today. That they would say yes unto you. Whatever their calling is today. We thank you, God. We honor you. And we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Listen.